0: have an opportunity to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Wow. Right? So, I guess, really, that's the only thing I'm going to get choked up about. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, I can't say that. I can't say that.
1: Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Yeah, this
2: whole firestorm, I guess that's uh, one of the positives that came out of it is uh, Rich Passaccia gets a chance of a lifetime here. Who knows? Raiders go on to have a magical season. Uh, Maybe Versace gets the job or puts himself in line for another NFL job. So I want you to answer the question, Willie. Willie's here. Willie Ramirez from the AP. It's Cofield. I want you to ask a question that I I gave to Ferguson about Raiders going to have anything for this game. Are they going to rally? Or this, this to me seems like an almost impossible week to prep and be fully ready for a big divisional game.
3: um, I do. I actually am, I, I believe what Nick said, and here's why. Um, if you if you dive into, and I'm not trying to put off any, you know, and make light of any of the comments that were brought forth in those emails, but the one email that is going to have the biggest effect, and this is with all due respect to Carl Nassib, it's the first one, that affects a larger population of that locker room. And yes, that one that came out Monday certainly probably hurt Carl Nassib and and bothered him. He took a day, uh, requested it to Mayock. They played a game since the initial shock of who John Gruden's character was. They've gotten that clunker out of the way. And if anything, because he's now gone from the locker room and because A lot of respected men that are leading these units that we've heard their names throughout training camp and the first, you know, three preseason games and five uh, regular season games, Gus Bradley, Greg Olson, Rod Marinelli, right? Miles. all these coaches, Tom Cable, and now Basaccia, they have rallied because of these guys because that's one thing that Gruden did as a control freak as he is. He let his coach his his uh, unit coaches do their jobs, and I think that they've these players have grown to respect these coaches. So I do think that they're going to come out and rally, and I think it's a benefit that they're getting out of town to be able to play this one. It's against a rival, so I think that they got the clunker out of the way when that initial shock set in. And, yes, those, uh, those, the rest of those emails are hard-hitting, and they really revealed the character that Gruden was from however long to 2018 before he got back into coaching. And I think they're going to come out with something to prove.
1: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. studio
2: special spot on a Friday Michael Felder's in to break down some college football and we got to go over some of the big stories of the week with the uh, college football expert from stadium I want to start out talking a little Oklahoma TCU what do you think about the game
0: I'm very curious to see this game Uh, we know that Oklahoma has problems uh, specifically going into Texas they had problems specifically in the past game they were one of the top 10 rushing defenses in the country Uh, and then obviously we got a chance to see what Bijan Robinson was able to do to them and I don't think that Zach Zach Evans, TCU's running back, is on par, but we saw Oklahoma go from a top ten. They were number eight, I believe, to obviously now they're number 11 in terms of rush defense. So I think there's area for opportunity if Zach Evans can get loose for TCU. And TCU's more explosive than they've been before, and I think that's a testament to sort of that that, that pseudo-run threat that Max Duggan brings to the table. And, again, you mentioned Zach Evans. You get the ball to Tay Barber. You have an opportunity to be explosive. So I am – I'm curious to watch how Oklahoma's defense plays. I know everybody's eyes are on the offense, but I'm very curious to see how Oklahoma's defense plays against TCU, uh, the area of opportunity, because this could be a game, like the Texas game, where they require more offense, and then that's when the quarterback situation is going to come into play.
2: Who is going to play quarterback for the Sooners?
0: Man, I, if you listen, if we're to believe that Caleb Williams was getting first team reps. I assume he's going to be the first team guy, but I'm very like, I don't think Lincoln Riley was lying to us when he said that Spencer Rattler was the best throw of the football that he's ever had. He is really good. I think the difference is not in better or worse. It's in style and the style difference. And because our offensive line is still shaky, I think the big key here is going to be probably Caleb Williams because it he plays eleven on eleven football. Versus ten on eleven football, which is what Spencer Rattler does. You don't have to account for him in the run game, and there are several plays, same plays that Rattler ran that Caleb Williams ran. Which is the beauty of having these two guys—they can run, they can both run the same offense. Uh, unlike a team I'm sure we'll talk about, but Penn State. But the big thing that happened with them is for Rattler, nobody is worried about him on the backside, so you can close backside and minimize gains. With Williams, you do have to worry about the backside, and then you add in the the extra element. Of you can go 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end and have Williams out on a r- actual run play. And guess what? You have an extra blocker, which allows you to create more space. And I think that's what Oklahoma needs right now. So I, I expect it'll be Caleb Williams.
2: Michael Felder's with us talking some college football, talking about some of the stories around college football. Uh, last couple things on Oklahoma. So uh, one media member got that story about Caleb Williams getting first team yep. reps. Lincoln Riley then shut down the media availability for the week. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's one of those things where you got caught off guard. Does that make sense? Like he he thought he thought post-game by not letting Caleb talk, and then obviously by not ever saying anything about who was gonna be the starter and they haven't made a decision. I think he thought he sidestepped it and was able to 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 move out of the way of this, and then that report comes out and For him, he's getting sideswiped, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. What I'm saying is his thought process, and yeah, you can't have that happen, especially in the NFL uh, if that's his next move, but also at a big-time college football, you have to be able to be prepared to answer those hard questions.
2: Michael Felder's with us. uh, Breaking down another game, could Iowa get caught this week, You know, emotional letdown after their massive win against Penn State, taking on Purdue, it's 11-and-a-half.
0: I don't think they will. I think one of the beauties of, of of Iowa is that they know who they are. We've I've said this multiple times on the show already. They know who they are. They know what they do. They know what they're good at. Uh, there was nothing for me. Uh, and people are going to talk about the Alabama win, loss, whatever. But there was nothing more beautiful. I haven't seen a more beautiful sight from a football standpoint than Iowa being down ten points with twenty one minutes to go, six minutes to go in the in the third quarter, twenty one minutes overall. And they said, you know what, let's just be who we are, because if we lose, this is how we're going to lose. And they went to 22 personnel, two tight ends, two running backs. And they're like, this is how we win. We win by doing the thing that nobody else does. We win by doing the thing that is the hardest type of football to play, because you can't fake it. We win by literally motioning our fullback across the formation to the strong side to make the strong side even stronger, and then we push you out of the way and go pick up yards.
2: Thoughts on Iowa this is a tough one because I, I think both guys have character issues, and people don't say this about coaches, but I, I think both are troubled. James Franklin and Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz backing the fans who were booing Penn State players, uh, but I don't put it past James Franklin to you know, have his players fake injuries. What do you, do you believe they were faking injuries? Do you think Ferentz should have gotten on the fans or backed them in terms of the, the booing of the players who were down?
0: I think that um, Franklin has been a disruptor in that conference. Uh, coming in and, and, and whether it was, you know, stealing recruits or trying to steal recruits or hosting recruits that were already committed to other places. I think that's part of his disruption there, but he came from the SEC, of course, like that's what you do. And I think that's an element to it where he's, he represents kind of the, was it? New blood, if you will. And then on the flip side of that, I think Ferentz represents, obviously he's the longest tenured coach in the country. Essentially he represents the old guard, but I also think that it's this. Um, I, I mean, to get to the point, no, I don't think they were faking injuries. <laughs> These guys, like, I mean, yeah, I was trying to talk my way through it and like be diplomatic. But at the end of the day, no, I don't think they were faking injuries. Uh, most of those guys came out of the game, sat out of the game. I think only two of them returned to the game. Uh, you think their number, their leading pass rusher, is out? Like he got hurt two plays before the play he went down on. He tried to tough it out. Jaquan Brisker is a guy that we know has been hurt since the Wisconsin game, at minimum. Probably got hurt in camp and has just been toughing through it. And I think that for Ferentz, he just recognizes how rabid and how 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 this season is feeling like lightning in a bottle. And so he's not gonna he's not gonna put a little fu- he's not gonna put water on that fire as 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 his, as his guys as his team as his fans get fired up.
2: Right. We have some Iowa fans in the market, and anyone out there who's all getting all worked up that I said they're both low character guys at times. Chris Doyle and that whole thing never goes away. If you sit yeah. idly by Chris Doyle as one of your coaches, speaking to kids like that and threatening them, and he's doing it for whatever it was, 15 plus years, then you put your stamp of approval on that. So tough noogies, Hawkeye fans. Um, all right, how real is Kentucky? I mean, they, they, they look good. But again, you and I have gone back and forth on Georgia. You want to see more out of Georgia in terms of being super aggressive on offense. 22 and a half here.
0: Well, I think the problem is this is the game that Georgia wants to play, right? We said that same thing about Arkansas, didn't we? That This is this is the game they want to play. They want to play the team that just kind of wants wants to run the ball, play defense. And that's what Kentucky wants to do with Chris Rodriguez at the at the running back spot. And Will Levis will make a play, a play and a half, two plays in a game. But he's not a quarterback. He hasn't won a game for Kentucky. He's been in games that Kentucky has won, and those are two different things. And so the big key for me is I don't think Kentucky is good enough to out Georgia Georgia. Their defense is very good. I love Kentucky's defense, but they're not as good as Georgia. And they're not as – they don't have as many bodies as Georgia. Because for Georgia, you can take someone out that makes a mistake so that they – get the mental note to correct that mistake. And then you throw another body at the problem for Kentucky. You need these current bodies to stay in the game. And this is going to be like my big thing that I've said multiple times to people about this game. I just don't want it. I don't want that many injuries in this game. I just don't want people to get hurt because this game is going uh, to, this game's going to be like, um, we only had one set of boxing gloves growing up, Steve. And so we have one pair of boxing gloves. And so I was left-handed, my brother's right-handed. So we just split the gloves up but there was no defense and it was just you punch each other until somebody loses. Right, right. And that's what this game is. And Kentucky is the little brother. So we'll see how long they can stand in the ring. I'm giving them 40, maybe 45 minutes before Georgia does break the bow. And all of a sudden we get a couple big plays.
2: Is the situation in uh baton Rouge getting tenuous enough that, uh, you know, LSU goes out and just gets smashed by Florida that you could have a a national championship winning coach really on the hot seat in Ed Orgeron.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- what what do you think about Ed? Because this is a question that I, I, I've asked this question back to people because everyone's giving me the same answer. I want to see if you give me a different answer, but what do you think of Ed Orgeron at LSU?
2: I never thought it was a good hire. I've always thought Orgeron was more of a CEO and, and a recruiter, and good for him. He got Joe Burrow, but that was someone else's players, you know, with Joe Burrow added in. I don't think he's a big-time head coach.
0: OK, so you and I are on the same page because everything I've heard from other people is like he's a perfect fit because he's a Louisiana guy and he knows the area. And I was like, yeah, but none, none of what you're saying is he's good at his job. <laughs> he's not good at this job. He's been bad at this job in multiple places. And now at LSU, he's bad at it. And so I think the key for me is like, man. Everyone's going to be a good recruiter at LSU. Unless they're maybe what Chip Kelly and they're completely apathetic about it, <laughs> but the reality of it is, everyone who puts the effort is going to be a good recruiter at LSU. But everybody else is going to—they're going to hire better coordinators. They're going to be a better coach in general. They're going to be a better um, personnel liaison in general. Like it's cute and everything that he does, and Coach Joe talking like this, and you know, Coach Joe want to get in the house and have a gumball. But at the end of the day most people are going to be better at that. The coaches that are qualified to have this job are better than him at all the things that actually matter when it comes to winning football games, uh, with the exception of being from Louisiana and really loving that program. So he's good at two things that don't help you win football games, and that's proven by, I mean, how few games his football team has won.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at salaries, he's probably worth a million dollars a year as the associate head coach and, you know, the closer recruiting-wise, but he ain't worth yep. five million. And that's that's not it's not a massive dig on him. I just don't think he's... Head coach, Uh, last one, let's react to the Alabama loss last week. Kind of what I've been saying all year long when people write these stupid stories about, you know, uh, no one in college football can beat uh, the top teams. You can lose on uh, any given Saturday, Friday, Thursday, whatever day it is. There's a lot of balance around college football. All right, so does Alabama come back this week and just annihilate Mississippi State laying 17 and a half on the road?
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is Nick Saban making a point, and the point is less for the playoff. The point is to his players, and I think a lot of folks don't realize – Nick Saban, he looks at these things as personal insults, and it's like, it's like when you don't push your di- put your dish up, your mom's gonna stand there and make sure you, you you put the dish up the next time, and when you don't clean your room, she's gonna stand, she's gonna tell you to go clean your room, and then you say that you cleaned it, and then you don't clean it the next time, she's gonna stand in your room while you clean it, and that's what Nick Saban is gonna do. These players. Um, both the, the – specifically the secondary, which is supposed to be his pride and joy, uh, gave up huge plays, had massive coverage bust, all those things against Texas A&M. Um, so three things. The, the the secondary, special teams, where he spent his time making sure that they had a pump block against, against a left-footed punter, not very – left-footed punter, not very common in college football, not very common in general, and they made sure they had the right pump block on to get points. And then his special teams gave away a touchdown – on the very next play, or on the, the play after the PAT, they gave up a touchdown because they didn't they didn't cover correctly. And then they're all his offensive line. They weren't able to run the ball the way that he wanted to run the football, and they weren't able to con- play ball control once they got the lead. And those three things expect those to be drilled in this next ca- this next game. Expect his secondary to be a hyper focus for him. Expect the special teams to be a hyper focus for him, and absolutely expect that they are going to run they're going to get brian robinson had what 36 carries um the game before a&m and they were focusing on running the football i expect them to have at least 25 this weekend against mississippi state
2: michael awesome spot uh mike felder does a ton of podcasts what was the the best podcast (laughs) you did this week what was the best one what was the best moment
0: best one this week i got marshall newhouse former offensive lineman for the raiders for the giants Obviously, Super Bowl winner with the Green Bay Packers. Marshall Newhouse is on Tape Don't Lie. It's called Tape Don't Lie, the podcast. We talk about the offensive line, running back relationship, and get into is it always the offensive line's fault?
2: Awesome. Sounds like a good one. Michael, we
0: appreciate it. We'll talk to you. All right, sounds good. Take it easy.
2: There he is, Michael Felder from Stadium, our college football expert here on a Friday. His spot today is brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You know, around Las Vegas, property values have gone up 20% year over year, but so have rental rates. Quit paying your landlord these record high rental rates and purchase a dream home today. Nova Home Loans has the best combination of service rates and fees. 577-2600 is the number. And you want to jump in now before the record low interest rates go way up. If you're a veteran or active duty military, Nova Home Loans has something special for you. No lender fees. That can save you $1,300. If you have credit issues, you need help with your down payment, Nova Home Loans is the place to go. But stop paying rent. Buy a house. Buy a condo. Call Nova Home Loans, Dustin DeHart, 577-2600.
1: Stick around. Cofield & Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Let's follow up
2: on one more college football game after we talk to Michael Felder from Stadium, adding the bleachers on Twitter, and that is the local game. Back at the Owl, UNLV, week off, actually really two weeks off. Uh, Utah State, well, they also had time off, so they had a bye. Uh, Rebels haven't won yet. They're on five. If you start to look at the schedule they've played, um, I do believe there's wins on the schedule coming up. Um, I think the worst team they've played so far was UTSA. Yep. Texas San Antonio, 6 and 0. Oh. Um, I think the worst quarterback they played was Frank Harris from Texas San Antonio. He just threw for six touchdowns last week. They're a bowl team. Uh, Jeff Traylor is going to get a job somewhere else in the next couple of years. You know, he's a former Arkansas, and I think he was on the Texas staff as well. And that's the worst team they played. And they were in the game into the final minute. They could have tied it. You know, they made some mistakes in the game. They were also incredibly shorthanded for that game, and they still didn't have their quarterback back for the game. Cameron Friel is the two. Doug Brumfield is the one. Am I saying anything that's way off on the schedule so far? Right? No. No, I, I, I believe Eastern Washington is better than UTSA they're, they're the number in
3: the FCS they're
2: the number two team in uh in FCS and since they've played UNLV, Eastern Washington has averaged 54 points a game
3: yeah Arizona State Iowa State Fresno State and then UTSA uh this is a team that you can mention in the same breath as Alabama Indiana Arkansas and Stanford Wait, what How? Because UNLV's faced as many top 25 opponents through the first five (laughs) weeks. Only those teams and UNLV have faced as many top 25 opponents through the first five weeks. You have gotten on me for the last year, because you say 0-5, I say 0-11. They're 0-11 under Marcus Arroyo, and you continue to say, will it? Not yet. Well, no, I'm not not, not wiping out all last year. No, 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 I'm just saying, but you've gotten on me and say, let's give them a chance. Right. I'm saying that this is the week that Marcus Arroyo has this team ready to go.
2: Okay, I'm not sure. Are they ready to go? Yes.
3: I'm not. Are they, they going to win? I'm not sure
2: because I'm still concerned about injuries and especially at the quarterback position.
3: That's the one thing you pointed out off the air was the quarterback because we don't know the entire situation yet, and I get that. But if okay, so let me put an asterisk. If it's Brumfield or the kid, I say you and know he's going to win Utah, beat Utah State outright. All right. So if it's Brumfield or Cameron Friel, yep, you think they can beat him? Yep.
2: But the fact that you're saying if, that's that's the concern. That's the because concern because Freil has, uh, I think it's an injured left leg.
3: It's got to be a concern. I mean, Brumfield has, be, has a back that he's
2: dealing with. He's got really got everything that he's dealing with because he he was so beat up in the time he played. Um, Martell is still a question mark because of plantar fasciitis,
3: which is so that av- all of a
2: sudden now you could be down to your fourth quarterback in. Justin Rogers, who was actually the opening quarterback, you know, has he progressed in practice? I'm sure he's gotten a lot more of the one reps. Um, and Utah State's one of these weird teams where they were blown off the field by Boise. They competed at home against BYU. Air Force has had a hell of a season. Well, Utah State went to Air Force and beat them. They also went to Wazoo and beat them, beat North Dakota. Uh, is it a winnable game with a seven-point spread? Sure it is. Utah but it's not State, an easy one. It's not. Not, now, not when you're winless. Not when you're, not when you're like you said, 0-11. Charles Williams,
3: this could be a game for him to... to hey, why why to, do you think so? I just don't... Utah State, so you look at the makeup of this defense. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I think that they, they probably caught Washington State off guard in that first game, although Washington State, nothing to write home about. But North Dakota, they go to Air Force. I mean, they get... They put three points up on Boise State. They always play BYU. That's I mean Utah. That that you know all the those inner Utah schools. They play BYU tough. It's sort of like they're the one game that they all they go gung ho for. They lost thirty four to twenty, but you know that defense. Utah State's defense is is has has problems. It has holes, and when you have if Marcus Arroyo being the offensive mind that he is, and having a week off for as close as UNLV has been forget the scores don't look at the finals 48 to 3 at Iowa State we were there for that one okay they were in the Arizona State game they were in the Fresno State game they were in the Texas-San Antonio game they were in the Eastern Washington they were, they've been in games Marcus Royals had 2 weeks to prepare for this game to expose that defense at Allegiant and because of Utah State's rushing D I think that Charles Williams could possibly have this game he's been he he, he and if the if there if the quarterback situation is as as you said, you know, there's there's question marks around it. They got to lean on him at some point and he's got to step up. This is a, this is a game and this has been the one game that everybody has been saying if they're going to win a game and the numbers climbed. So, you know, and uh, yes, Utah State's benefited from a from a bye week. Right? They they they've been off also. It's benefited three starters quarterback Logan Bonner, Calvin Tyler Jr., the running back, defensive tackle, who I'm not gonna pronounce try to pronounce his <laughs> name. Uh they've benefited from the bye week and they've gotten healthy as well. But still, I'm not convinced that 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 that, that defense yet, I want to see it. I mean, we're, yes, we're talking about UNLV, but this is a team that's hungry, man. They've lost 11 straight. They want to. They want to rinse that off. They want to flush that. They want to move on, and you know. And I'm not trying. I'm not. I, it's hard to not compare, but it's hard to to throw this all together. But with the Raiders and everything, you know, every all this negative vibe and feel that's going on in in Las Vegas, the Ace is the way they lost. The Golden Knights have started off ugly. Maybe the Rebels could bring some positive light to the weekend. Rebels tomorrow, Utah State at the Owl. They have
2: back-to-back games at Allegiant. That includes a a quick turnaround Thursday against San Jose State. And the the theme of today's show certainly is, will UNLV be ready from the injury standpoint, even after a two-week layoff? Again, that's a 4 o'clock start tomorrow. Will the Raiders be ready? We'll jump back on the Raiders with the former Oakland Raider and our Friday football insider,
1: Stanford Route. Justin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio Friday on Cofield and Company and Stanford Route. The
2: former Oakland Raider is in with us, and uh, normally we're talking football, but my God, what a week for the Raiders. Shamed around the league. Uh, We'll get into the uh, aspects of that, but I'll throw it up to you, Stanford. First your reaction on what John Gruden was emailing over the years and uh, the decision to push him out.
4: Oh, well, first off, you know, that was pretty uh, pretty disturbing to go ahead and see the first comment about the Michelin Tires talking about Damari Smith. So you know, that's one thing that you could go ahead and take away that okay, that does have racial undertones to it, but it all could just it all could it all could also just be, well, you know what, maybe Demar Smith does have big lips in his eyes. So that was number one. And then when you go ahead, you see throughout the weekend, obviously the Raiders laying egg against Chicago Bears. And then Monday comes around, that's when you start to see more things trickle out and then the misogynistic the homophobic type of comments and then that's when obviously everything hit the fan and then you go ahead and you see him resigning monday evening right around the time the start of monday night football and i think that it pretty much just goes to show that you know in this world it's now it's changing and you cannot say things that you may once have been able to say or get away with and i think that uh I, i think that when you look at it, obviously John Gruden didn't want to go through all of the red tape and everything that was going to happen if he wanted to try to stay because you got Carl Nassif on the team. He's your first openly gay player. How do you look him in the eye and tell him, hey, I support all people from all sexualities, all walks of life, things like that, not to mention majority of your team is African-American. So I think that uh, pretty much the right decision was made. And uh, it does make me wonder whenever you then turn around and see how – Mark Davis didn't fire John Gruden, and then you see throughout the week, Mark Davis did not want to come to the to the podium and answer any questions. He gave that one flipping comment about "no comment." Uh, ask the NFL; they're the one who has all the answers. And I think that when you look at how for Mark Davis, and I love Mark Davis, like I said, loved his father as well, so he's the one that wanted John Gruden out of the broadcast booth and back on the greater sideline he's the one that wanted this so when all of this happens and you're the one who wanted this guy you advocated for this guy you got to be the one answering the tough questions not your interim head coach
2: there's a lot there to unpack there's a lot yes there. first of all let's go with the premise that the nfl pushed out john gruden because you suggested that gruden kind of wimped out and walked so which one do you believe it is that gruden was like i don't want to deal with this or that the nfl pushed him out
4: I think it was probably a little bit of both. I think that from what I understand, from what I've been told, is that as far as the NFL came across these emails when they had the investigation into the Washington football team and they went ahead, they notified the Raiders, like, hey, you know, this is what we found in some of these emails And so uh, the the NFL, they were urging Mark Davis, hey, you need to go ahead and handle this. You need to take some action. And Mark Davis, apparently, or should I say the Las Vegas Raiders were like, no, we're just going to stand pat for right now. And so the NFL's like, oh, okay, y'all want to just stand pat? We're telling you that you need to do something. You need to handle this situation. Oh, you want to stand pat? You want to go throughout the whole weekend and not do anything? Okay, you know what? Uh, New York Times. Here goes a few other emails. That John Gruden apparently said uh, uh, to Bruce Allen in these uh, in these exchanges over the internet. So that's when all of a sudden, like, okay, since you don't want to go ahead and make a move, we're now going to put up more evidence. So you got more questions, you got to answer, and it just becomes so much of a you know what storm that. Heads are going to naturally roll just off the simple fact of like media pushback, backlash. And then you see John Gruden decided, hey, I don't want to be a distraction. Let me go ahead and get up out of here and then just resign rather than be fired. And I think that it's very telling because, in my opinion, for that to be just the tip of the iceberg for the emails, for John Gruden to resign, not wait, stay on to get fired. That way he still gets the remainder of his contract for him to go ahead and, re- and, and just resign and basically forfeit the remaining 60 some odd million or whatever he has on his contract. That tells me that he knows there probably was something even worse on those emails and that the NFL, the New York Times were just sitting on the bulk of that iceberg and just waiting for to go ahead and release it down the line.
2: That's what makes me uncomfortable about this whole thing. Where's the rest of the information? Where's the information on the football team, the, you know, the former Redskins? Where's the information uh, from the other 650,000 emails? I don't know. I'm disturbed by the way this whole thing is handled. Uh, you see there's some media cooperation, maybe too much media cooperation with guys like Adam Schefter. My take on the Gruden part of it is I, I, I'm, I'm to the point now, um, unless you can prove that there was a crime or that Gruden – Not only spoke like this, but through his actions, actually denied people opportunities. Then I actually think for Gruden, it would have been worse off in some ways. He's still going to get his money. But to stay on and have to face the music before every game in every city and explain that he's learned, he was stupid, you know, be shamed, I don't see what's accomplished by booting him out of the league. And then, like, a week later, people just forget make John Gruden go through the gauntlet and really learn the lesson. And also, it, show, it shows other coaches, stop acting like this. Stop thinking like yeah. this. Stop speaking like
4: this. Well, I think that, uh, I, I, and trust me, I, I remember having this conversation with just somebody yesterday. And what I've always learned You know, trust me, I'm I'm with you. He probably should have to go through those, answer those tough questions. Look his black players, his gay players in the eye and actually have to go ahead and try to drum up some lie to them of, hey, I know I said that stuff, but, you know, I still respect you. I still support you, even though the players are going to look at him like, bro, you know, we don't believe nothing that you say uh, based on what we read in those emails. Um, And people, people that are in positions of power, People that are in positions where they really, really have a lot of influence and make a lot of money as well. Like you look at Donald Sterling, former uh, owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. He's a billionaire, so, you know, it's not about the money for him, but just the simple fact that he no longer has this entity, this organization that he can control, that he owns, just off of that alone, that's enough of a blow to his ego. And so for a guy like John Gruden, who obviously was the Oakland Raiders head coach, then went to Tampa Bay, won a Super Bowl, then was in the booth for ESPN for so long, and a lot of people raved about him because he was damn good at what he did when he was in the booth, and then leaving the booth, coming back to the Oakland, now Las Vegas Raiders. Just the simple fact that John Gruden has to resign, not get fired, resign from his job for something he said as far as a decade ago, and now when you look at it in its totality, hey, anything is possible. Miracles do happen. But John Gruden is not going to be able to get a job for a long time. So just off of the fact that I had to resign from my job where I was the highest paid coach in the NFL, probably in NFL history, and now I no longer can get another job, just the simple fact that he's now going to be going to bed, waking up every day, not like he needs the money. But just the simple fact that he no longer has control. He no longer has control over his situation. He no longer can just demand a certain salary. He's getting paid, I think, four, five, six million from ESPN in the broadcast booth, and then walks right into a double digit million a year job with the head coach in the Oakland and Las Vegas Raiders. Just off of that alone, that's so much of a blow to a man's ego who's always been at the top of the heap. He's always been at the top of the uh, of, of the mountaintop when it comes to everybody within his industry. That alone is going to be a blow to his ego where even though I believe certain things as men, certain things are just in you. Like There's certain things you can do as a human being. It's just in you. Yeah, you can go and get therapy. You can go and get sensitivity training and all of that, but it's just in you. Period. It is. And players, we know that. So even if he does go and, you know, get changed and this, that, and the other, just the simple fact of knowing that he no longer has his great cushy position that he had as a head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, or and he can't go back to ESPN, just off of that alone, that is enough for him to sit in his house and think, hmm. you know what, my mentality, my mindset that I vehemently believe in, because that's why he was saying it, Maybe I do need to change it a little bit because look where it got me. And it's not like I can go ahead and just go knock on somebody's door, make a phone call because I got a lot of connections that I created over the years and just get another job because my mindset now has made me radioactive. It's now made me toxic in you know, the 2021 terminology. So I think just off of that alone, that's going to be something that's going to work on him. Now, I agree with you. He does need to deal with the embarrassment. He needs to deal with that that awkward silence those awkward conversations that reporters would ask him but nonetheless he still is going to go through his own version of of mental ridicule of mental uh, turbulence of just the simple fact you no know, man i had a great thing and i blew it
2: that's the voice of stanford route difficult week for uh, everyone in raider nation as uh, john gruden resigns or was pushed out of the league and Uh, That is a hell of a penalty. He is done with football for the foreseeable future. Let's talk about what's going to happen with the Raiders this weekend and beyond. First of all, do you like the choice of a non-coordinator, a guy who doesn't have head coaching experience, as the guy to run the Raiders now in Rich Passaccia?
4: I would prefer to have it be somebody who was at least a former coordinator or former head coach. I mean, Tom Cable was uh, our interim coach and then was our head coach for a couple of years uh, with the the Raiders. Uh, You look at Gus Bradley. He coached the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, I mean, I could go ahead and make my my own qualms or aspersions or whatever, but it is what it is. He's now the interim head coach. Let's hope he does a good job. Let's hope it starts with this weekend against the Denver Broncos. Um, Maybe. Uh, Mike Mayock and Mark Davis know something that we don't know that's why they chose the person that they chose rather than Gus Bradley or Tom Cable or somebody else so I think it just remains to be seen and let's just go ahead and hope for the best what's your biggest concern
2: Uh, I'll go down a list here Uh, should we be worried about the fact that now Greg Olson will be exclusively calling the plays Gruden's not around is that something that's going to be a problem
4: I don't know. I think it really just come boils down to exactly how much input did Greg Olson have going into all of this as far as the play calling uh, a, lot, a lot of the input during the weekend install exactly things like that so if he had a lot of input a lot of install and it just so happens that John Gruden is the one on Sunday afternoons calling the plays but Greg Olson much like Eric Bieniemy with the Kansas City Chiefs is actually doing the install he's creating the plays he's deciding okay this is what we're going to go ahead and keep this is what we're going to go ahead and discard things like that if Greg Olson plays an integral part in, in the installation from a week to week basis, as far as every day being at the office, being at the facility, things like that, I don't think it's gonna be that big of a difference. But if it's a situation where John Gruden is the one during the install, he's the one deciding what plays are going to be in, what plays are going to be out, and he's calling the plays on Sundays, then I think you're going to be in for a little bit of a rude awakening when it comes to the dichotomy at which you'll see with when the Oakland Raiders go and take the offensive side of the ball right now versus pre-John Gruden's firing.
2: Yeah, what you'd love to know. I'm
4: sorry, resignation.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what you'd love to know, Stanford, is how practices went this week. Because all all coaches and even the players know, like we just had a crappy week of practice. And I wonder, you know, with the distraction and having to answer questions about John Gruden, if they actually were able to have a normal to good week of practice before this game against the Broncos, who certainly are a dangerous team.
4: That's definitely where leadership comes in. Older players like a K.J. Wright, older players like a Derek Carr, even though he's not old, but he's older when it comes to the offense side of the ball. You look around, you see guys like Casey Hayward, guys like that. That's where leadership really comes in, the Gus Bradleys of the world, the Tom Cables of the world, because I know Tom Cable. I played for him. So that's where those guys have to really make sure that they keep everybody in line. Hey, guys, listen, football is all about handling it. Adversity. We got dealt a big blow of adversity over the last seven days. We got to find a way to push through this. Yes, it happened. There's nothing we can do about it. We got to push forward and figure out how we're going to navigate against the Denver Broncos. We can't let the media and everybody else and all the questions go ahead and shift our focus from the point at hand. We got to go ahead and stick with that. I think that right there comes down to leadership. That comes down to coaching. And the coordinators this week have to do an even better job of making sure that their guys are ready and not succumbing to the distractions.
2: Well, you mentioned guys like K.J. Wright and Casey Hayward. I wonder if the other thing they dealt with this week is, you know, football coaches always talk about player-led teams. What about motivation? You know, in a league where it's made up of 70% African-Americans, as you said, the roster is full of African-Americans, mm-hmm. if some of them are like, you know what, there's something bigger here. Like, I don't want to play for Mark Davis. I ain't fired up about this. He didn't seem to take this very seriously seriously. I wonder what the focus on that front is.
4: Oh, yeah, you're definitely gonna probably see maybe even situations like that in the offseason with guys not wanting to resign, guys not wanting to sign with the Raiders. So that's something that it definitely will be addressed in the offseason. Right now, for the most part, I think as a player, you decide okay, even if I don't want to be here next year, I want to still put out a good film, I want to put out a good product for my next future employer. So I'm not gonna let my qualms with the organization or ownership go ahead and now affect my play, which can then affect me down the road, affect my paycheck, my ability to feed my family. So you don't want to let your personal feelings with somebody in upper management, somebody who's an owner, you can't let that affect your play on the field because ultimately you're hurting yourself more than you are that team and that owner.
2: Uh, Let's close on this. I've seen some, I think, really stupid and bad list of potential head coaches down the road for the Raiders. Mm -hmm. These are four guys that I would be interested in. One, Eric Biennemi. Two Todd Bowles go much younger, well not much younger than Pienaar, but I've always been fascinated with uh, Chris Richard, who's now with the Saints as a DB coach.
0: And mm-hmm. then there's
2: an older guy who some think is a good coach. Maybe wasn't a great game manager, but knows the division. In Anthony Lynn,
4: anything pique your uh-huh. interest in that group? They're all they're all a little bit uh- different. I mean, yeah, I, I like I said, Eric B I would love to see him go ahead and get his first head coaching, his first head coaching gig after he's been a bridesmaid in the head coach interview process for a number of years. It seems like he's never the bride Anthony Lynn. I, I liked Anthony Lynn back when he was with the uh, San Diego and then Los Angeles Chargers. I liked him. Uh, Shannon Sharp speaks highly of him. Cause I think he played with him or coached with him back of his day with his days with the Denver Broncos and even going back to Anthony Lynn's days uh, for the Buffalo bills. So, uh, I think that would be a, a fine hire. You look at Chris Richard, he's done a pretty good job. I remember he was a defensive coordinator, I believe, at one point in time for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, was a part of the – DB coach for the Legion of Boom back when they had their heyday. So I think you just listed a number of good candidates. I just want somebody who's going to come in here and is going to go ahead and be able to get the most out of their car, as you saw what John Gruden was able to do the first couple of games of the season and be able to go ahead and sustain that throughout the remainder of a season and just find a way to go ahead and bring some stability and also bring some respectability. Because now with you with what you saw at John Gruden, we all know Al Davis was all about inclusion. We all know that. So John Gruden, that puts a little bit of a blemish, a little bit of a black eye on this organization. So somebody to go ahead and basically uplift that blemish basically go ahead and uh, delete that blemish of that black eye and show it's all about inclusion so uh i'm not going to sit over here and say we need to go after that guy i'm not going to sit over here and say that because i'm not educated enough on all of the candidates to go ahead and make that type of a uh, that type of a uh, of, of a decision right now on this spot so i would just go ahead and just hope that mike mayock if he's still there next year mark davis that they make the right call and that uh, they can go ahead and have this team vying for AFC West supremacy or maybe even in the AFC totaled altogether because I like where the team is at right now. I would like them even more where they were at before the Chicago Bears game. Right. But nonetheless, like I said, this v- division is still easily there for the taking. Just got to have the right guy leading the ship. All right, Stanford, we'll talk to you next week. All right, be good, man. Talk to you next week. Friday,
2: football insider Stanford Rout, the former Oakland Raider talking about what has been a crazy week for the Las Vegas Raiders. His spot today is brought to you by Battleborne Injury Lawyers. They've got something cool going on right now. Give them a call to get questions answered about your auto insurance. 570-9000 is the number. You have full coverage on your auto insurance? Do you even know what that means? Call Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman. They can explain. Because you could be without real full coverage. You could be out of pocket for medical expenses, property damages, even car payments. And that could be for an accident that you didn't even cause. A lot of us think we're fully protected, but we're not. Free call. They'll review your auto insurance. Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman, Battle Born Injury Lawyers. Give them a call right now. 570-9000. It's 570-90000.
1: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm
4: gonna kill your bookmaker. I'm gonna rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 free, 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 free.
2: Let's get a couple of college football notes in here real quick before we got the big five at five. More on the Dodgers win last night. A lot more about the Raiders and their focus and this whole blame game. Whose fault is this? Should Mark Davis speak? Will Goodell break first? A lot of blame going around. A lot of blame going around for a bizarro week for the Raiders. Uh, You just sent me a tweet a couple minutes ago, Willie, about uh, Craig Thompson going on uh, radio. Where was this? The Boise?
3: No, th- uh, our, our good friend B.J. Reigns. KTIK,
2: I think it's Boise. He, oh, so is it? okay. he said 12-team uh, college football playoff expansion will happen. All right, well, he's he's on that committee. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, in, in Boise, he says this, huh? Boise will not lose its $1.8 million added revenue bonus. By the way, that 100% should go away. And I'm sure they have the paperwork, and I know there were threatened lawsuits where the Mountain West has now roped itself into a deal, another terrible one. There is absolutely no reason why Boise should be getting more money let them walk. Go to another conference. They'll mm. find someone else. It's all cyclical, okay? You're seeing, you know, Boise got a good win last week, but yeah. that's bull crap. Um this one's interesting. Conversations with Gonzaga basketball are not dead. Okay.
3: That would be interesting. I definitely would be interested to see that. I think it would add add a lot of intrigue to this conference and it would it would it would bring I think it would obviously bring a lot of television revenue.
2: I'd like to see the conference get aggressive, but we'll see. They seem to be more reactive at times than uh, proactive. All right, you had a a good story you sent over about the uh, 13 undefeated teams. USA Today was tracking them in college football, the 13 unbeaten teams. Mm -hmm. Who's going to lose in week seven? First of all, I'll ask you this. Do you believe outside of, like, Coastal Carolina? That anyone else in the country will be unbeaten at the end of the year. We already saw Alabama fall last week. Yeah, you think Cincinnati's going to go unbeaten? You think Georgia's going to
3: go unbeaten? I think now you're talking before conference championships, regular season, or you're saying no? Let's include conference championships. I think Georgia's better than Alabama, so I'm going to have I, to say yes. I, I do,
2: too. I, I've said that since the summer. Yeah. I don't know why Alabama was number one. Yeah. This reputation crap. So, Georgia had more coming back, and Georgia's proven to this point they're better. Uh, that said, I think, Georgia, facet. I, I think Georgia will lose, and I actually think Georgia will lose before the uh, SEC championship game.
3: You do? Yep. I think Alabama could lose again. I think Alabama could lose again. I'm not sure on Georgia. I think I actually like Kentucky to cover this week. Uh, yeah,
2: Georgia the rest of the way has Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, at Tennessee, uh, and Georgia Tech. I think they could certainly lose a game in that bunch. So that, and that's also why I told you about 10 days ago, there was some jabroni from the New York Post who's like, oh, boring season. No one's going to beat Georgia and Alabama. Man, hours later, Alabama falls at Texas A&M. A lot of, ba- lot of balance around college college football. People don't want to buy it. You know, they get all worked up. I'm telling you, if you sit there and really watch college football games, Willie, and you know this yeah. from picking them and betting on them, the margin of error is incredibly small within a game. You know, a couple plays here and there, and even the best teams, they play a bad game. They play a game that's you know less than
3: peak. They can be upset. So you had a chance to look at this. Who, who, who? Now it's very oh, easy. Week? It's very easy to say, well, okay, Kentucky's going to be one of the 13 that falls. Right. That's That's too easy. Um I I I think I know who, you know, out of out of out of a big matchup, who I been picking to lose.
2: Yeah, so Georgia's got Kentucky, Iowa. I, there's no way I was going unbeaten, be so let's stop with that. But they right. play Purdue this week. That's certainly a spot they could fall in. Emotional, you know, spot last week against Penn State. They could come in less than stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, Central Florida without the quarterback against Cincy. That's a tough one. Oklahoma every week is a crapshoot, so and okay.
3: TCU is a giant pain in the ass. Always, I think um, Oklahoma State is going to lose.
2: Yeah, so Oklahoma State and Texas.
3: Yeah, at Texas, Texas is that lines dropped. It's, I think it's dropped a little bit. I think it's. I think it was. I think it opened five. Um, it's dipped to about three and a half. Uh, yeah, they're going into, and Texas is going to be angry. You think? That <laughs> Just, was a gut punch last week. I mean, and you know what? Here's what's funny. I saw that score, and you know, every Saturday I'm up early, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the mountains somewhere hiking, and I saw that score, and I was like, they're, they're they're up too big, too early, too soon. This game is far from over for as big of a margin I'm looking at in this Red Rivalry, Red River Rivalry. And sure enough, I, by the time I got home... Oklahoma, was it was it was a shootout. And it was a, such a long game. But I think they're going to be fired up. I think this is this is the week that uh, Oklahoma State falls.
2: I can't wait to send out the alert. Number 25, Texas
3: avoids upset against number 12, Oklahoma State.
2: Well, oh, Texas is favored, even though they're lower on right. the rankings, which is also why the rankings are bunk.
3: And then you'll get, as you call them, the jabronis.
2: Oh, there'll be headline writers out there like, you know, Texas shocks. <laughs> Texas pulls upset at Oklahoma State. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. Right. That can't be an upset. Right. Stop. Yeah.
3: Wait. There's an undefeated team playing tonight, San Diego State.
2: I don't think they're going to fall.
3: I don't think so either. No, And to- uh,
2: right now, Clemson is on the road. Uh, they've already taken their blows.
3: Maybe. I actually like Syracuse in this one. I took the points.
2: All right. Well, scoreless five minutes in. And again, that's up at Syracuse. So they have a good crowd up there. And Syracuse has had their moments over the years. Against Clemson. All right, we'll go through a bunch of the NFL games in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll get to uh, what's going on right now with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. (laughs) You like that? What's going
1: on? It's two games in. Panic. Panic mode. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.